Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. seated. Thank you. <laughs> Let me get my notes out here. I'm going to start us out in prayer as well because it is much needed. And yes, it was nerve-wracking whenever I was asked. And it's kind of a weird, I've got a weird like energy going on right now because I'm like, well, I've done this once, so this should be easy, but it doesn't feel easy right now. So... <laughs> All right, I'm going to pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, um, God, we just thank you so much for today, Lord. Thank you for bringing everyone here. Um, I pray, Lord, that your spirit just fills this room. Um, I pray, God, that you turn our hearts into flesh and just help us receive this good news. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you help us respond. And um, pray, God, that you help me speak clearly, help me look up from my notes, and, um, and again, just uh, lead me well in this. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Whew. So let's begin here. So my name is Justin Metz. Um, I'm a covenant member and a Christian and believer here at Heights Community Church. I also went through a preaching cohort with several other men here um, and to help me prepare and everything for me to be here today. And I'm also happily married to my wife, Heather. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. It's neat it. And, uh, and I think I've got some pictures up here of our family. This is what not real life looks like. This is what, yeah, this is what picture perfect looks like, so that is. But if you want to show what real life looks like, I went back through my phone and just looked at my most recent pictures of my family and tried to get Heather and I, that was us at the Ozarks, it was a whopping 50 degrees there whenever we were there. And then here's our kids, Hunter, Huxley, Asen, and Ayla, having the best time ever. And... <laughs> And also another picture of Ayla. Uh, and, and then this is what a typical day looks like for us. That's our backyard. You can see the fence. We have them all corralled and everybody in close and out of the house so it doesn't destroy our entire home throughout the day. But, uh, but that's a little look of our family and what we look like. But no, my wife deserves a lot of credit, if not all of it. She has supported me so incredibly well. Um, helping me grow as a Christian, um, as a father, and as a husband, and she has sacrificed so much over the many years of our marriage, over our seven years of our marriage, and our growing family, and all of that too. Um, I'm also uh, a part of the Cherry Hills Missional Community. Yeah, a lot of you here today. There's only one or two of you here this morning, so awesome. Uh, I want to explain. I want to explain what Missional Community is or what MC is to those of you that aren't really sure what what that is involved, but missional community is just a, um, it's a way that we live throughout the week, and if you just show up on Sunday, this is just a very small portion of what we do um, within Heights Community and as a church body. So we serve other non-for-profits, um, we're in different city organizations and councils and stuff like that, and we help with event planning also around Collinsville, and uh, to, to put it even shorter, like MC, you'll hear me say that a lot um, throughout today. But MC is somewhere where we eat, 
Um, we celebrate with one another, we serve one another, pray with one another, learn about Jesus, and we also share the gospel with those around us and also with each other um, because we need it. So I'm also, uh, I also work for Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Been there for 11 years. Um, I work from home. I love my team, love my job, and, uh, and I share all these different things about myself up th- uh, with you today just because I don't I want you guys to know that I don't deserve to be up here but I'm up here simply because I love Jesus, like plain and simple. I just, I love Jesus. Whenever I was asked by David um, a month and a half ago, and thinking about if I ever get asked again, I want it to be like a week before instead of a month and a half, because it's been weighty. It's been a lot of work to prepare this thing. Um, but no, whenever I was asked, I was really petrified and scared. But um, as my nerves calmed down, I, I started to get really, really amped up to talk to you guys about Jesus and share the gospel. And, and so the fact that I'm standing up here today, something I thought that I would never do in my lifetime, uh, kind of leads me to share with you the big idea. And the big idea should be on the screen here soon. Um, and it's belief demands a response. Plain and simple, if you believe something, it is going to cause you to respond in some way. And that belief you know, will cause you to live differently, and, and we're going to dive really heavily into that. So some may think that, you know, believing something is just, all right, yeah, I believe, you know, whatever, but I'm just going to keep doing me or keep living life, but that's not what it is. So the response to my belief of what's in this book right here, the Bible, has caused me to, to stand up here in front of you today. Um, it has caused me to dive deeper into this thing. And in my research and in my time in Scripture um, and all these other sources, too, it is crazy to me that... This isn't just some fairy tale or some religion that someone concocted, but this is literally 1,600 years, roughly, of history. So things in this Bible happened. Everything in this Bible happened. It is history. Jesus happened. And yes, when I say Jesus happened, God came down and was fully God and fully man. And he lived a perfect life, something that we cannot live and uh, and. He died a perfect death for us, for us on the cross, but he rose three days later to, to forgive us and to, to die for our sin. And so long, as in Romans 10, 9, it says, so long as you confess with your mouth that he is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So that is the gospel message. That's all I want you guys to take away from today is that hear that and believe that good news. <laughs> So, yeah, so that's your big takeaway for today. But um, let's dive into 1 Thessalonians here. This is what I'm really going to get into. So 1 Thessalonians, it says there in verse 1 that Paul's the author. So it says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Um, it's also proved again that Paul's the author in, verse, uh, in chapter 2, verse 18, and Joey actually is going to be going through with you that uh, through next week, and he was a part of the preaching cohort with me. Um, so to lay out kind of my supporting points, the big idea that belief demands change, uh, it's as Paul's writing, he's showing thankfulness and gratitude, point number one for you note takers. The second is conviction will demand change. I think it's on the screen here, yeah. And then having a reputation worth imitating. So that's, that's the material we're going to work through. 
So jumping into verse two and three, Paul says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father in our Lord Jesus Christ, work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness in the hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this verse touches on the um, first supporting point. So Paul is showing his excitement and gratitude and praise because of their work of faith, there being the Thessalonians and their labor of love. Paul mentions this work of faith and stuff in many letters he writes to different churches in the New Testament. Um, And he isn't just writing to the Thessalonians, but he's writing to and thanking God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, he's thanking him for their work of faith, their actions, church. So, um, Christian in the room, have you ever had anyone, you know, weathered, rough around the edges, just wholehearted, loves Jesus, Christian or believer, come to you, look you in the eye and say, thank you. Like, I thank God always for you, constantly in my prayers, because of the way you model Jesus and the way you love others and serve others around you. To dive deeper into that illustration, Heather and I had an awesome experience back whenever we were new believers, you know, six, five, six, seven years ago, somewhere around there. And we went to Florida for a family Christmas trip. It was the best trip ever. It was just Heather, Hunter, and I, and, uh, and, and the rest of Heather's family, too. But it was so lovely, just the three of us, yeah. <laughs> but it was a great trip. Um, but on our way back, you know, we drove 15 or 16 hours, and whenever we walked through the front door of our house, we got hit in the face with this awful, musty smell. And we were like, ah, what is this? And again, we were new homeowners at the time, too, less than a year, I think. And so we searched the, the dishwasher, the, the bathrooms, um, you know, Everywhere we could think of the laundry, we're like, what is this musty smell coming from? We could not figure it out. So as we were done unpacking and stuff that night, I walked downstairs into the basement, put the suitcases away, and my foot hit the very bottom of the steps and squish. So our basement had flooded, and it had clearly been sitting for at least five or six days by the judge of the smell of it. It was, it was awful. And, uh, and so not having any biological family in the area that would be obligated to help us in this circumstance, we didn't have that perk. So as I spoke about missional, missional community earlier, um, I sent a Hail Mary text message um, to a bunch of the people in that group. And I'm like, hey, we just, we just got back from Florida. Um, our basement flooded. Can anybody come at all and help me rip out all the carpet and tear up the drywall and all that? And I am not exaggerating. Within 20 minutes, there were eight people on our front doorstep like that just showed up. And we didn't deserve that. We didn't owe them anything. Like They didn't expect to be owed anything. They just showed up and helped us. So again, this is 10.30 by this point. Worked all the way through midnight, tore out everything we could that was sopping wet and smelly, hauled it away. And it didn't just end there. Throughout the week afterwards, in the weeks afterwards, people were coming with dehumidifiers, helping us suck out all the moisture out of the walls. Um, I learned how to put drywall up for the first time, which is not fun, but uh, that was my first experience with drywall. Uh, helped put up floor trim. Again, these are constantly people that were coming in and out of our home weeks following just to help us. And like, I'm not some weathered Christian believer, you know, it, but I was, you better believe, I was thanking God for them in my prayers. I was constantly thanking God for the love that they modeled 
like they modeled who Jesus was. Like they didn't do it just because, you know, they felt like they had to or, oh, we know Justin Heather, so let's go help him out just because. No, they, they showed the love of Christ to us through their actions. So, so it, that story kind of also touches on my third point of having a reputation worth imitating too, which again, we'll get into. So now jumping into verse four, Paul says, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So Paul's giving thanks, giving thanks for how they're modeling two very basic things. The gospel is being preached with authenticity and authority, and the nature of the Thessalonians' response came with power and the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Full conviction. You guys see that there. So belief demands a response. And the second point is that conviction then will demand change. So Paul's describing the actions of the Thessalonians, and they're not just trying on Jesus or waking up early and, all right, for 10 minutes I'm going to pray and get Jesus out of the way and then do my thing throughout the day. They're not going to work and, um, and, and not living it out. They didn't just try them on. So the Thessalonian church here, and what Paul's describing, is that they clothed themselves fully with Christ and fully convicted that the life they were living was not glorifying God. So define, um, to define convicted, for some of you guys that may not follow what, what Paul's talking about here, is that the text is saying that the Thessalonians were fully convinced or fully believe with 100% certainty that what Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy were, te- were telling the truth. And the Thessalonians could see this truth, and this truth caused them to respond. And this conviction then demanded change. So it was like the Holy Spirit kind of came upon them and lifted this veil of sin out of their eyes of, of what they had been going on around them, and they could actually see the truth and how they were living. So, and I'm not saying by, you know, don't respond by quitting your job or dropping your kids out of the soccer practice or different sports they're in or anything like that. But when you participate in these things, your action should reflect your belief in who Jesus is. So if you're a person who says like, yeah, I mean, I believe in God, then the actions in the way you live that root of that should show that you believe in God and show you believe in Jesus. So Corey spoke about last week about professing Christians and um, set me up really well here about belief demanding a response. He hadn't heard my sermon or anything like that beforehand, but everything he was saying, I'm like, oh, perfect. This like sets me up with a nice little layup here. Um, But he hinted that if there's no response, then you probably don't actually believe the good news that's in this book. And you may just be a skeptic. So I want to make it clear, though, that God did not choose the Thessalonians because of their work or because of anything at all they did beforehand. God chose the Thessalonians in their sin and right where they were at. But by his authority and grace, he set the church apart from these worldly passions and desires that had been consuming them and them, again, being the Thessalonians. So this caused individuals in the church to be convicted and show them that the idols they had been worshiping and the way they had been living was not okay. So this whole letter was written to the Thessalonians as some encouragement. So to get into the encouragement portion of this text here, 
This letter wasn't written to Heights Community, you know, over 2,000 years ago or anything like that, but it was, Paul wrote this letter to the church of the Thessalonians and for the church of the Thessalonians. But then to show us 2,000 years later what it looks like for a body of believers to turn away from sin and to fully put their faith and trust in Jesus and look to who he is. So those two main points here, the gospel is being preached and the response. So one of my buddies, as I was processing this text, um, we went on an awesome trip to Colorado, best time ever. It was a really good man trip. But as we were, as we were, I just had to throw that in. Yeah, stay focused here. So as, as we were processing the text here, um, you know, he said, you either fully surrender your life to Christ or you do nothing. Those are the options. There's no other in-between. You fully surrender or you do nothing. And so some encouragement here within Heights community is that absolutely the gospel is being preached every single Sunday, but it is also being preached and lived out throughout the entire week every single day. And there's so many stories that just blow my mind. I wish I could get into all of them. Um, but for the sake of time, you know, just here, like, and those that don't know what I'm talking about or maybe be here for the first time, is that have you ever known anyone in your friend group or anyone, um, you know, in your family that has literally sold their home, perfectly good home, glamorous neighbor and whatever, and, and moved somewhere in the community, maybe not so glamorous, or even outside the community, to better serve families and host bigger gatherings or host a missional community, like within their church body. Just get up and move their family for that. There are so many families here within Heights Community that have done and made those sacrifices, and it's been amazing. And so shout out to Ridgemont MC, um, Cherry Hills, I think is one, Burdick, Burdick Creek is another one, I believe, and there's so many others, but those are all the names of our missional community gatherings, just the street name, where they live um, and where they, where they meet at. So, you know, this isn't glamorous. This isn't glamorous, and it definitely gets messy. Um, it's because we're all sinners. You know, we all have different backgrounds, but we have Jesus to fall on. So, again, these multiple families have sacrificed, modeled Christ's love to advance his kingdom by hosting, facilitating, letting people see what life is really like and not just see the hour-and-a-half Sunday morning smile just checking in and checking out each week. So hitting back on the second point with conviction demanding change, I just feel how almost old school our church is to an extent where it is literally the foundation of what, you know, Heights community has been settled on is Jesus, Jesus, and more Jesus, and has been taught completely through the scriptures, which has been phenomenal. And I feel like that has caused the church body as a whole to respond by living differently. And that response is causing others to come to know Christ. Plain and simple. Because again, it's not just here. It is throughout the week in your life. Another kind of micro example or just a single example within the church body um, is Mr. Don Clark himself. So for, for those of you that don't know Don, um, he has humbled himself. He's the most godly man I know, I feel like, at this point. Um, but he makes this place look immaculate um, and has done an amazing job. But five, six years ago, he actually was drugged to Heights, Heights Church by his daughter, Adrian. And whenever he 
sat through here, he hated Corey. Like, Corey's our founding pastor. He hated Corey. And it's like, who is this, who is this tattooed punk telling me about Jesus? I already know who he is. And something more I heard about that story, an interesting thing I heard about that story actually in between services is that he actually was praying that his entire family would come to the church building that he was already at. And God answered his prayer. He didn't realize it at the time, but his daughter drug him to heights. And again, he, had, he was all, ah, why, why are we here? We need to go to this other church building, whatever. But over time, the Spirit fully convicted him and changed his heart in a way to where, yeah, I'm hearing the gospel message every week. And it's actually pulled him to come up here and preach in the couple weeks here too. So like, just if you would have asked him five years ago, hey, are you going to get up there and preach sometime? He probably wouldn't have said yes, but, <laughs> but he's going to be up here in a few weeks. And just that little, not little, this massive change in his heart alone and how the gospel penetrated his heart, um, you know, he responded to that. So he was convicted and it caused him to change. So, so verse four, it says, he has chosen you, meaning God has chosen so the Holy Spirit's alive within this church, and I'm very proud to say that the majority of members live differently on a daily basis here in our lives, in our neighborhoods, in our places of employment, um, in our CrossFit gyms that they work out in. I had to say CrossFit at least one time. It was a requirement for me standing up here, so <laughs> not really. But, but moving into verse 6, when Paul says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So Christian in the room, is your life worth imitating? Is your reputation worth imitating? To take it a step further, is your reputation worth imitating when no one is looking? And even further, like, is your reputation worth imitating with social media when all, everybody's looking? Like, what's your last 10 Facebook posts look like? Or your last 10 Twitter or Instagram or anything of that? Who are you worshiping? Are you worshiping yourself or are you worshiping God? So John 15, Jesus says, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world... And I chose you out of this world. I, meaning Jesus, God the Father, chose you out of this world. Therefore, the world hates you. Let's think about that. So Timothy's describing the behaviors to Paul, and Paul clearly is describing the action and response um, of the church body as a whole. And it's showing that the Thessalonians are trying to imitate the love, demeanor, and work ethic of Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy um, that were preaching them the good news and imitate that of the Lord, because that's what they were modeling. And it is all because the Thessalonians believed what Paul was telling them was true, and what Jesus defeated death for them, removed their sin completely, and that belief caused them to respond. So not to jump ahead, but Paul affirms my third point here of having a reputation worth imitating, where he says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 14, for you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. So whenever he says imitators of the churches, he wasn't meaning be imitators of all the buildings on every other street corner here in America. He was talking about the body, the heart, the, the church. We are the church. 
So he was talking about, um, again, being rooted in Christ Jesus. Again, us, the body. And it made the Thessalonians fall in love with him. Paul also wrote a letter to the church of Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 4, Paul wrote, You do not have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus. Through the gospel, I urge you then, be imitators of me. In 1 Corinthians 11, he also says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So again and again and again, Paul writes, and he says, you know, live this transparent life and live a life worth imitating, which is a life rooted in Christ. And so to elaborate a little bit further on what a life rooted in Christ is, if you're still not following here, it is someone who has actually humbled themselves enough to listen and hear the good news receive the free gift that's been given to them by love and grace in someone who repents, which means someone who does an about face or completely turns away from sin and puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And these people who do that tend to live differently than the world. You guys are going to get that by the end of today. <laughs> so, um, and as, as it says in verse six, for you receive the word, as I just mentioned, and in much affliction. So to clear something up here, when Paul talks about much affliction, he talks about the murder, the, the beatings, being cast out. Um, that's what they were going through in Thessalonica, and that's what they were going through in all these different churches throughout the book of Acts, um, which, which Luke was the author of that, and Paul talks about his experiences there. So us here in America in 2021, and thinking about this past year in 2020, the affliction that we're having is not even close. Like we thought that wearing a mask and the government forcing us to wear a mask to Home Depot was infringing upon us and we were much afflicted and ah, the world's coming to an end and ah, he's coming back soon. There's so much affliction. No, no. We are not afflicted as the church was back in the Thessalonians. So... Corey summed up Acts 17 really well last week when Paul's in Thessalonica and how jealous and angry um, these Jews and mob had stirred up. And he said, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here. I wanted to bring up um, something when Paul was in the city of Lystra. And it also, that was described in the book of Acts 2. But while Paul was sharing the, the gospel in Lystra, he was literally beat so badly that these men and this mob thought he was dead. They drug him out of the city, and a bunch of the believers and disciples just surrounded him, as the text says um, in Acts. And then he just got up and walked back into the city and, like, kept preaching. So, again, they experienced affliction, not us, not us here. And so, in Thessalonica, there's a lot of Greeks, and they're very angry at how these new believers of Jesus were sharing the good news and beginning to live differently. Um, you know, they share that these Greeks and these idols were not okay. And if you, and if you fact check me on any of the Greek history of artwork and sculptures and statues, you will see that they idolized the body, they idolized nakedness, they idolized sex. And again, the church, the Thessalonian church loved them so well and in their community to tell them the good news and also warn them of the future wrath to come, as it later says in verse 10. So going back through verses six and seven, Paul continued and says, they took on all the affliction 
but with joy of the Holy Spirit so that they became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So again, have a reputation worth imitating. But these believers were not bummed out. They were anxiously and excitedly waiting for this good news of Jesus to come back and to save them. So this temporary affliction that they were feeling or maybe the little affliction that you guys feel on a day-to-day basis, like there's hope in Jesus returning. So a good example to kind of describe what the fruit of the Holy Spirit is, um, Paul describes in Galatians 5, another letter that he wrote in the New Testament. He says, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He lays it out pretty well there, I feel like. So plain and simple, if you're not showing any fruit of that, fruit of the Spirit, and what I mean by that is just your actions. Like, Because again, your belief is your root. Like, What do you believe in? And what is your fruit showing? So as I keep saying again and again, your belief demands a response and having reputation worth imitating. You know, so Christian in the room, how are you modeling the fruit of the Spirit towards your kids, towards your neighbors, you know, towards your coworkers, um, those with a nine-to-five job? Do, do your coworkers and friends at work even know that you're a Christian? Just by the way you respond, just by the way you, you know, work at your job, do they know? So there's all these different examples I could bring up with life and, and whatever, but what I'm, what I'm kind of trying to say is just look in the mirror. Does your reputation as a parent, a coworker, a neighbor, is it worth imitating? Is it reflecting God's love that he has shown you um, by patience, kindness, gentleness to your neighbor that won't cut his grass? You know, like are you showing, are you trying to serve them? Or, like is it modeling that? Or does it reflect the world? Is there anger? Is there bitterness? Is there drunkenness, laziness, you know, eye for an eye mentality? Oh, they did that, so I'm going to get them back by doing this. Or the you do you mentality, you know, like that is not loving at all. So to further my third point here, verse 8, Paul says, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you, from Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. So let's dive into this here. So to give some perspective, how the word sounded forth, um, you know, what is Macedonia and Achaia, you may ask. So these are two Roman provinces back then, and Thessalonica was located in Macedonia, which is a coastal city, a um, lot of traffic. I think 100,000-ish was their population. Um, but the distance around that was roughly 200 to 300 miles. So that would be like us here in Collinsville living out the gospel and good news so loudly and incredibly that people in Chicago would hear about us here and everywhere in between. We'd be turning the world upside down as Paul experienced in Thessalonica with this angry mob screaming, that what, this is, can't be happening. So again, it would be like if a massive Christian figure, you know, that Christian figure being Paul in the text, but it'd be like someone like Tim Keller or... You know, Francis Chan, um, you know, those are massive Christian preachers and pastors, um, godly men. And it'd be like if they came in, live life among us, preach the good news to us, and then we as a church body started imitating how they lived, how they served, how they prayed, how they loved others. And it would be, um, you know, as they, this pastor preacher would roll out and go on to the next city or what have you, it would be like them writing us a letter or Facebooking us or 
giving us a shout out on Twitter saying, you guys are crushing it. You're killing it. Like, we don't even have to do anything anymore. Like, that's how well the church body is living out what he's been preaching. So again, it's, it's not just what you say, but it's how you live. So Paul is clearly making disciples who make disciples. And a disciple is someone, you shortly put, is someone who follows Jesus. And so the Thessalonian church is following suit with a loud and clear um, because they're sharing their faith. And again, if Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy stopped preaching the good news, it would be just fine. And they'd be okay because they have done what God has called them to do and other people are making disciples and then those disciples are making more disciples. So that just continues to be shared. So I want you guys to really, really hear this. So people in Thessalonica were not living differently because they had to. But their belief in what Jesus had done for them on the cross caused them to make some radical changes in their life and their reputation. And the way they lived was being talked about by believers and non-believers all around them. And the people would know just by seeing them on the streets and in the synagogues or in the marketplaces, they would see them and say, oh yeah, they're probably followers of Jesus just by how they act. So by their action and their heart change became an example and Christians would mimic those things. So Paul goes on in verses nine and 10, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So those last three words may freak some of you out. The wrath to come. You might be thinking like, oh, here we go again. This guy behind, you know, standing up here preaching says, I'm going to go to hell if I don't believe and put my trust in Jesus. And yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. And that's exactly what this scripture says. That is exactly what this book says. And that's why I feel this is so incredibly urgent and why I'm up here today and why Joey, Gabe, and Don, why they were pulled to come up here too because of their response to this message. So this is the good news. It may not be the good news yet, but here is the good news. Jesus delivered the Thessalonians in their sin, and he can and will deliver you in your sin right now, right where you're at. So again, Jesus lived a perfect life, a life that we cannot live no matter how hard we try. And he was put on the cross by the Jews and by the people just like you and me, you know, around 2,000 years ago roughly. He stood in our place by enduring the wrath of God. He endured the wrath of God, so we don't have to. He died on the cross for our sin and was the final sacrifice for us. But that's not the end. Jesus rose from the dead and defeated death. And this good news or gospel is simply a free gift. It's not by things you do. You know, by grace, he offers us this free gift. And all we have to do is humble ourselves enough and admit that we will never be good enough and accept the gift of his son, Jesus. 
So John 14.6, John 14, I don't think it's going to be on the slides, but John 14.6 says, Jesus said to him, to talking to Thomas here, another disciple, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes through the Father except through me. So not by your good works, not trying to do better, not trying to say some random prayer or to come to church every once in a while on Sunday. That's not going to get you there. But by professing with your mouth, as I shared at the very beginning, by professing with your mouth that he is Lord and turning away from your sin and idols and to fully put your trust in Jesus. So um, I see this guy named Ray Comfort on YouTube. He's a street evangelizer. Seems like a really godly dude, but this example has always hung in my mind. And this example is like life is if you're up with someone that's about to jump out of an airplane and go in parachuting or whatever, but if that someone you're with is about to jump out of the plane without a parachute and is just going to save himself by flapping his arms and doing his own work and thinking, oh no, I'll be fine. I'll be good. I'm good. I'm just going to jump out of here and I'll get there on my own. I'm a good person. I'm, I'm all right. But that parachute is Jesus. And that's what you know, I'm trying to offer you all is this parachute. And so for those professing believers in the room, I might be looking at you saying, hey, I see you with that parachute, but tighten up your straps. You know, like look at who Jesus really is and respond to that. And then again, the non-believer in the room, I'm just offering you this free gift that has been given to us. Again, given to us by grace. And that's what I'm offering. And that's what Jesus offers. And that's what the scripture offers. And that's the message that Paul gave to the people of the Thessalonians. You know, again, around 2,000 years ago, and we're still talking about it. And that was the message that turned the world upside down. And this gospel is what leads someone who believes to show gratitude and thankfulness, also be convicted of the way that they're living, and then having a reputation worth imitating, which is in Christ. And this belief demands a response. So, like, how will you all respond today? And, and I wanted to kind of end by just giving you some tangible ways to respond. And just come talk to me. Ask questions. I love it when people come to me asking questions because it causes me to dive deeper and look further into this truth. And it just affirms my faith and my belief. Yeah. So please, come talk to me. Come talk to Corey or one of the other pastors. Um, Anybody on stage worshiping, I know that we would love to talk to you. So that's a tangible way for you to respond. And uh, yeah, so I'm going to close this out in prayer. Um, and then Corey's going to come up and we'll go through communion. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much, God, for giving me the strength to stand up here and preach your good news. Thank you for using me as a tool and uh, your spirit just to speak through me. Um, the things that you have shown me and my wife and my family over the past several years has been incredible, and I pray that you continue to sanctify our family, sanctify this church body, um, pull us further into your word, help us learn more about your son Jesus, because again, that will pull us to want to respond even more. I just pray for that earnestly, God. Um, I pray for boldness with everyone in this room um, to stand for what they believe. And if it's not in you, stand for it and share that, God, so that we can speak truth and we can hear and listen and ask questions, Lord, to that. 
I pray for all of that earnestly. Um, I thank you again for all that you do, and I pray in the name of Jesus, and it's in his name. Amen.